If Murray had supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> America's America. 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 Sending out good vibes. Good vibes. Good vibes. Good vibes. Good vibes. breaths of deep gratitude and prayers for guidance and protection. And put on a didgeridoo and shamanic drumming track. Shivers or vibrations and stuff like that. The world that we're moving towards is a world that's going to be dominated by unconditional love. And uh, we're, we're going to get there. It's going to be a little bit of a struggle, I think, to get there. But we are going to get there. Okay, guys. Welcome back to the Grammar Show. We are going to be chatting with Dr. Bradley Nelson a little bit later. He's uh, the body coach, the body code, how to get the best out of your body. Talking about like uh, all that sort of stuff, kinesiology, pressure points, <clears throat> and all that cool stuff. Of course, we're getting ready to head down to Utah. Flying out Wednesday. I fly out Wednesday morning. Ground's flying out Thursday morning. Head down to sunny Las Vegas. And get the fuck out of sunny Las Vegas as quick as we can. I'm going to check out actually the Hoover Dam on Wednesday morning. The Hoover Dam. And uh, the Grand Canyon on my way up to Utah. And then Thursday we kick off our 420 event. There still is, I think, two two or three spots left. So if you're listening to this, it's Monday, and you can be in Vegas on Thursday. Every contact at thecabin.com, grab a spot. We'll see you there. We just got a phone call yesterday, added in another spot. So, you know, we could we could still fill up. We, we'd love to see you there. It's going to be cold, cold, but we're going to have a blast. We got party van coming out this time and all that so we got everybody's favorite podcaster gram i'm finally going back to cac dunlop hey. buddy good how you doing i guess you're in i'm good i guess you were in arizona last year yeah i was there last year yeah yeah that'll, yeah, that'll be fun I'm looking forward to it and before we forget to mention it tuesday that's tomorrow the uh the, the 18th of april will be live um on Rumble for Grimerica Outlawed and Rockfin for the first half of it, with uh, we're gonna have we're gonna be talking to Douglas Vote from Diehold. It's gonna be an amazing conversation, and then we're gonna be live on YouTube and Rumble and Rockfin with Marsha B News. That's gonna be our regular Grimerica show later on tomorrow night. So just keep an eye on these live sort of notifications. We're gonna try doing video and live uh, from now on. So tomorrow will be a, a packed night. How do you sign up for that? Uh, well, I mean, go to Rumble Finder channel, go to YouTube, and click on our YouTube. We still have, uh, you know, click on the subscribe for the YouTube. Rumble and Rumble and yeah, Rumble. follow us on Rumble and Rockfin, I guess, too. Yeah. No, Rockfin and Rolling. Yeah, I mean, you see, even if you're not going to watch, you should subscribe anyway, just because it, like, helps us. Totally. Helps totally. Grow, helps us grow. There's the adult brain YouTube channel. There's the American media YouTube channel and the old school America channel that has just a bunch of shit on it. It's like, there's, I think there's seven, 800 videos on that thing. A lot of them yeah. are audio only. Yeah. And don't forget, let's mention while we're talking about it, your book. So Darren just finished his, his 
creation, his masterpiece on the book called In Their Own Words, which is narrated by myself and Kyle Delisle. Big shout out to him. And also uh, Marissa LeBlanc, who did, they both did a fascinating job to narrate the voices of the indigenous people's school experiences in the residential schools. And he's got it, you know, sort of put to videos and pictures on our, on the Adelbrain YouTube channel. So it's like a six and a half hour full audio book with almost like a documentary, really. Yeah, it did come, come out kind of a documentary-esque for sure. I would agree Kidnapped. with that. I, uh, I, uh, I have it queued up here. Should I play a little chunk of it? Sure. And of course, people can head over to the Adult Brain YouTube channel. We decided, I decided to just put this out for free. You know, um, it really seems like the way it's going to get the most traction. Um, so you can listen to it. You can share it. You can tell it with your friends. You can, you know, each chapter sort of plays by itself if you need it to, but it also goes together really well. You could just listen to it, but like Graham said, uh, strongly mess. I strongly recommend watching the videos because it does have pictures of most, uh, not all of them, but whatever pictures were available for the, of the, the people giving the testimonials, it'll pop up and. By institutions. Like Imagine if you can back to your earliest childhood memories, the safety most of us felt around our loved ones, having our mothers, fathers, grandparents, and siblings in our lives to help lighten the load and comfort us in hard times? Or perhaps you're a parent. Imagine the church or the state showing up at your door. Who's that narrator? Under the threat of violence via incarceration, demanding your children as young as six be taken by them to an institution of their choosing to be properly educated and or re-educated. This was the reality faced by many indigenous parents and grandparents in the late 19th and early 20th century in Canada and several other countries, such as the United States, Australia, and New Zealand, to name a few. In this chapter, the focus will be that moment of departure. How did it feel to be ripped away from your family when you were only a child and brought someplace where you couldn't understand the culture or the language? Through the stories of those that were there, we can try and imagine ourselves in their shoes, as uncomfortable as that may be. When Josephine Eschkebach was eight years old, a priest came to her home in northern Ontario and presented her mother with a letter. My mother opened the letter, and I could see her face. I could see her face. It was kind of sad, but mad, too. She said to me, I have to let you go, she told us. So we had to go, go to school, a Spanish residential school. Isaac Daniels recalled one dramatic evening in 1945 when the Indian agent came to his father's home on the James Smith Reserve in Saskatchewan. I didn't understand a word because I spoke Cree. Cree was the main language in our family. So, so my dad was kind of angry. I kept seeing him pointing to that Indian agent. So that night we were going into bed. It was just a one-room shack we all lived in. And I heard my dad talking to my mom there. And he was kind of crying, but he was talking in Cree now. He said that it's either residential school for my boys or I go to jail. He said that in Cree. So I overheard him. So I said the next morning, we, we all got up, and I said, well, I'm going to residential school because I don't, didn't want my dad to go to jail. Donna Antoine was enrolled in a British Columbia residential school after a visit from a government official to her family. It must have been in the summer, the, the Indian agent came to, to see my father. 
I imagine it must have been the Indian agent because it looked pretty serious. For sending him to the Shubanakati, Nova Scotia school. Many years later, he asked his brother what the family reaction had been to his being sent to school. He didn't answer me for a while, a long time. He says, Nobody said anything for days because my father was crying every day. Finally, my father told the family, I failed as a father. I couldn't protect my child. I just couldn't because you know what the Mounties, the priests, the Indian agents told me? He told me, if I don't, if I resist too much, then they would take the other younger, younger brother and younger, younger children. And he says, there's not a choice. I could not say, take them or take the three of them, but I couldn't say nothing. There it is. Good, good sample. That was good. Yeah. Yeah, that, uh, of course, big thanks to you and Kyle and Marissa for narrating it, but it came together quite well. It's like six hours and 50 minutes. Like we said, it'll be it'll be for sale in a bunch of places, of course, but it'll also just be free on YouTube, so you can get it there. The ebooks are free now as well on a canadianshame.ca. You can get all three ebooks: the Indian Act one, a Canadian Shame, and in their own words. So, yeah, that's all free now. So, check it out. Tell your friends. Share it around, and uh, see if you can get us some little hype behind it. Well, what else you got? I broke. Um, I broke my drone. I do have that. I uh, I flew it into the side of the house accidentally but i've had my eye on that mini one anyway so it was good I, I got the little mini one i flew it almost like i thought i was on your street but now i'm thinking i might have still been on like i might not have crossed west creek boulevard it's hard you know you think it's easy but once you get over there it's hard to tell where the fuck you are man yeah all the streets probably look the same i mean i i guess i guess i better close my blinds you're not spying on me because i don't want to go down i don't want to go down too low because then people see it. So you're yeah. trying to see from above. So I was like kind of coming down. If the Jeep was in the drive driveway, I could tell. Yeah. But I thought I see. Is there still an RV next door? Uh, no, no. Um, well, I'll get it over. It's a little windy today. Oh, yeah. It was like dust, dust storms everywhere. Brutal. Well, so dry why, and windy. That's why I didn't send it back. Because I, like, I was over there looking for your house. And I was down to like... 49% battery, and it's a little oh. tiny one, so you can go, like, I think 38 minutes or something like that. And uh, the, it just goes all red. And uh, I'm like, huh. What does I, that mean? I don't know. I assumed that I maybe got crashed into something, like maybe there's a power line I didn't see that just, like, was off camera that I smashed into somehow, or... There was that helicopter flying around all day yesterday. Maybe that. So you had to go it. track it down then? No. Like, uh, I was like, well, fuck. And uh, just like maybe 15 or 20 seconds later, it just like popped back on and it was on its way home. It was like, because uh, I forgot I had programmed it to go up to 120 feet, head straight to where you take it off from. It programs it as its little home spot. Yeah. And uh, so I'd pro. So if you loses contact with control, even if you're like getting too far away to return safely on the battery, it'll it'll like take over and and head to home. Yeah. So it was yeah, like yeah. it was on its way home, and uh, 
I could have switched the battery and sent it back out, but it was just seeming. I was a little risky. But it's I mean, too, it's not a day for it. It was really, really windy. I, I mean, I, w- I would totally worry that it would get blown over at some point. Yeah, but it's pretty cool. I was out looking for the kids right on their bikes. I was out cruising around looking for them. I had it down the lake. I was out tripping some guy out that was out at the weed store at night because there's a little light on it. So we'd watch for some UFO reports because I was over in that like Safeway parking lot shining the light down on people. <laughs> anyway, that's my drone report. Oh, nice. Yeah. What do you got? What do you got? Well, I mean, I want to continue on this vein of the, uh, you know, the Malcolm Bendel uh, technology kind of thing. We talked about last episode, you know, the one that Randall Carlson and Malcolm talked to J- John, Joe Rogan about and he won't release it. So, mm-hmm. you know, that Ken shoulders is the guy that is a lot of, a lot of the work is based on a lot of Malcolm's work is based on. I mean, he references it on his website, strikefoundation.earth as his book, EV, a tale of discovery is on there in a PDF. That's the controversial book that was sort of taken down at some point. So I just wanted to, I wanted to get into Ken, who Ken shoulders was a little bit. Because this is a, he's a maverick genius, the man who made black holes. And this is kind of one of these, one of these uh, kind of rogue inventors going back a couple decades now that was sort of developing these plasmoids. So, rogue uh, inventors? Sounded like one yeah. of those guys. So I'm just going to read a little bit. What? Sounds like one of Joe's inventors. Joe's inventors. I don't get it. A rogue inventor? <laughs> That's funny, eh? Rogue inventor. So almost, I'll just read the intro here. This is a, this is a paper about him from lookingforheat.com. Um, anyone who's spent uh, time investigating unlikely physics may have stumbled across mention of or papers written by the late Ken Shoulders. So Ken died in, in 2013. There are factors emerging now which may well bring renewed interest into the huge body of scientific work, work which forms his intellectual legacy. He was often described as uh, by his peers as the father of the domain known as vacuum nanoelectronics. In part, this is because over the last decade, prompted by concerns about climate change and rising energy costs, there is a phenomena formerly known. There is in the phenomena formerly known as cold fusion, now generally referred to as LENR. It seems likely that this field will benefit from a reexamination of shoulders discoveries particularly his work on EVOs, that's exotic vacuum objects or charge clusters. These names are convenient labels used to categorize phenomena which some researchers, the author, this author included, feel offer key insights into new and fundamentally different approaches to LENR and as yet unexploited ways of creating, transforming, creating and transforming matter and energy at tabletop scale. So this guy worked for that Menlo Park uh, in California. That was that crazy park that had a bunch of like labs and all that back in the the 50s and 60s. And he had these ideas for these more exotic technologies. It was what this is what led him to work with the CIA or for the CIA and others actually makes you wonder why this was all suppressed back then, always operating at the edge of what was then considered conventional. He was a true maverick who never followed the herd, viewed by his peers with some awe for his intuitive grasp of new concepts, always happiest when thinking outside the box. 
He was an unorthodox kind of scientific genius who bubbled with wild ideas at an astounding rate, leading to him winning a fun vote at SRI. So that's the Stanford Research Institute where um, Pudov and those guys worked. Um, I'll put it says, on. Yeah, it says uh, he was the SRI researcher most likely to build a perpetual motion machine. Cap Spint, a former colleague, wrote, I just got the news that Ken Shoulders, the internationally recognized father of vacuum microelectronics, and the guy that hired me at SRI in 59 has died. He was not only my boss, but also a mentor, colleague, and friend. He was a true genius and always way ahead of all of us in every way. We often couldn't grasp or even understand what he envisioned or claimed to have seen. But over time, it always turned out that he was right. A most amazing person. I might try. I, I might try to link to this in the show notes. It's quite the quite the article. And then I'll skip through written? some of the. What's that? When was it written? Uh, twenty seventeen. Uh, Pre COVID. So six years ago now. So is this PC knowledge use on that PC? What's that? Is that PC? PC, yeah. No, it's... Uh, Pre-COVID or before it's, COVID? It's BC, before COVID. It's the new BC. Not before Christ? No, it's 2020 BC. Wouldn't that so be 2,020 years before COVID? Yeah. BC, BC. Okay. I don't get it. So this goes down to the, uh, is this knowledge useful uh, part of the article? And it says he convinced many, but not all, that the EVO phenomena is real in spite of the like charge repulsion difficulty. In his own words, nobody believed anything I ever said. They only believed the gadgets that were run by EVs. I actually had to almost beat the patent office into submission by a series of brutalist assaults with my devices. It is worth remembering that Ken was sure that EVOs offered a connection to the basic fabric of the universe by biasing the medium with a dense asymmetrical charge distribution. This is a very powerful concept and may well be the foundation of any device that operates with an efficiency that indicates overunity. He also believed that EVOs were capable of transforming into mini black holes or in their various manifestations, because they're all not the same, could be harnessed for unlimited energy production, anti-gravity, propulsion, transmutation, teleportation, unimaginable destructive capability. Quite a list. And then I'm just going to read a quick paragraph from his, because his, this kind of summarizes, summarizes it. This is from his obit. They defy, so, shoulders of, so this guy wrote of shoulders his cl charge clusters, that they are like a compact group of electrons, they defy the common belief that such things can occur because of the great repelling forces these electrons should exert on each other. Yet they do appear to exist and are not even that difficult to create once you know how. Not only are the clusters themselves exotic to mainstream science, but they seem to offer a way of connecting to the most fundamental and universal element of existence, sometimes called the ether. This is a very powerful concept and may well be the foundation of any device that operates with an efficiency over unity. So that's how important that was. And I, I think that kind of went into the sort of the cold fusion and then got shut down. 
um, in the, when was it, the 80s or 90s, I think, Cold Fusion got kind of demonized and, and shut down. Did it get demonized? Oh, boy. Oh, it got it got roasted. Roasted like it was going to be a weapon, or did it just get more? No, just that it was, like it oh, ridiculed. it was like pseudoscience. Yeah, it's never going to work. Ridiculed. It ridiculed. Point. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember back then digging into it a little bit. And this, so this would have been like, man, I, I do remember looking into it and going, this is bullshit. Um, they're lying about cold fusion. And then it just, it just, everybody just kind of gave up on it. But Malcolm talked to Fleischman, one of the guys that was demonized about cold fusion. And this guy was super excited. He talked to him just before he died. I think he was in his nineties or something. And he got really excited because, I mean, his whole, you know, everything got sort of stolen from that guy, all his ideas, and they got squashed. So super interesting time to see this come back again around. Absolutely. I hope it works. Could, could I get, like, one of the first little test generators or something? Uh, I don't know. I don't want it to blow up. Never mind. Maybe. No, no, it, it can't really blow up. It's implosive, right? I, I don't think I don't think it's dangerous, but they'll make it seem like well, it's I dangerous. I don't want or it something. to imblow up either. Implosions don't look great. Right? He mentions one. They went they 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 went uh to destruct to destruct destructive testing on one of them and it did implode and imploded into a, like a square or a rectangle the the metal. It just went pop, it popped into like a, a shape. Weird. Very strange. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Are you gonna get one? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Look at the car, man. I don't mind my, I don't mind the gas, I gotta say. It's gonna take me a minute to get off the gas. Speaking of gas, we just got new gear. Gear acquisition, gear acquisition syndrome is back in Grimerica. And we need your support because now there's a full-time job for Graham. It's not just shits and gigs. We got this here. It's like a business and uh, it has expenses. And we need some support, you guys. You know, I hate to hammer that dead horse, but if more of you motherfuckers listened, I could stop. But not enough to do, so we need you to head over to Grimerica.ca slash support today. Sign up for a monthly or make a one-time donation. Whatever you can do helps keep us going, keep us growing. Also, head over to GrimericaOutlaw.ca and sign up for the podcast over there if you want. If you don't want, if you're doing that, great. Then I won't bust your balls here, but you should be doing one of those two things. If you're not listening to Outlawed, sign up for a buck or two a month. If you are listening to Outlawed, great. If you're signed up for Plus, great. Then, you know, you're supporting us. Uh, contact at thecabin.com to get in on the trips. Adultbrain.ca for the audiobooks if you want to buy some of the ones that we haven't given you for free, along with all the other free stuff we give you around here. America.ca slash support, guys. If you can, we would be eternally grateful. And you can always review if you can't afford support, too. We totally understand. You know, put a good review on Audible or iTunes or, you know, make a nice comment in YouTube or subscribe. Send me an email. With some feedback, some stories, some synchronicities, UFO sightings, some strange occurrences. Absolutely. What kind? Of, yeah, it's been a while since we got that kind of stuff. Step up your game, motherfuckers. We need your help around here. All right, what else you got? Well, I got a quote. Actually, you want me to you pick a quote, a quote up? It's from my. It's from a book that I'm going to keep uh, handy here. That uh, from one of our later out latest outlawed guests, Great America outlawed guests. Is Let me from, guess. It's, it's from uh, Etienne. Yeah. <laughs> 
Etienne de la Bouti squared. It's the profound quote of the week. Darren, can you guess it? It's the profound quote of the week. Can you guess the human who spoke it? I'm going to try to pick not an obvious one, one that I probably have already read before from another book. This is, uh, so this is from the book, uh, Government, the Biggest Scam in History. It's version five. Ready? I'm ready. Yep. Since I entered politics, I've chiefly had men's views confided to me privately. Some of the biggest men in the United States in the field of commerce and manufacture are afraid of something. They know that there is a power somewhere so organized, so subtle, so watchful, so interlocked, so complete, so pervasive, that they better not speak above their breath when they speak in condemnation of it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. JFK? Close. He is an ex-president. Ah, then it's going to have to be not Roosevelt, the uh, the E one. Um, no, no, no. Hmm. Well then, I uh, it's not the guy with the first name that starts with E. I can't remember his last name. No. <laughs> All right, who is it? Woodrow Wilson. Fuck that. All right. Well, I tried. Woodrow Wilson. I don't know much about him. Who was I thinking of? Oh, I can't remember. I know who it was, though, but you know it was the World War II guy, right? right? Wasn't it? Yeah, Eisenhower. Yeah, Eisenhower. Eisenhower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, you got to get out of here. What do you got? Yeah. D&D? What? I'm going on a show. Uh, show um, oh, right. Uh, Monday Night Master Debaters. Master Debaters. Yeah, and we're just on Union. I was just on Union of the Unwanted coming out soon. and Atta boy. So do you have a one on Mel K, Mel K tomorrow morning, I think, if that all goes well. Ellen has been pushed back several times, I've noticed. Yeah. Do you so, have yeah, a bio good... for Dr. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Stanley? Yeah, yeah, Dr. Bradley Nelson. Bradley Nelson. Veteran holistic physician, Dr. Bradley Nelson. Is one of the world's foremost experts on natural methods of achieving wellness. He is the creator of the Emotion Code and the Body Code System, and the CEO of Discover Healing, a holistic education platform that provides training and certificate and certifies practitioners worldwide. His best-selling book, The Emotion Code, provides step-by-step instructions for working with the body's energy healing power. His new book is The Body Code: Unlocking Your Body's Ability to Heal Itself. For more information and a free emotion code starter kit, visit emotioncodegift.com. That also just leads to the main website, discoverhealing.com. Um, check it out. He shows this book in video. We do a video with him. That'll be on YouTube too, right, Darren? If you're if you're listening on audio, there is a video of this that will be on YouTube on our Grand American Media channel. And um, when he goes through, he kind of shows the visuals of the book. Like the book is made like a manual where you do kinesiology and muscle testing as you go through figuring out what's wrong with you and you, and you dial it down to a specific thing. There you have it. Anybody can do it. 
You don't have to you can do it. go to a I certified healer. You can, but you can do it yourself, too. You can do it yourself. I can do it myself. All right, guys. Enjoy the chat with Dr. Bradley Nelson. Dr. Bradley Nelson, welcome to Grimerica. How you doing? Well, fantastic, Graham. Thanks for having me on your show. Great to be here. Oh yeah, this will be fun. We love doing these uh, these shows with healing, and we've been talking a lot about kinesiology and all this kind of stuff. So I think it'll it'll be a good fit uh, for people. Fascinating work, fascinating book, fascinating journey for like what seventeen years, kind of. Uh, pretty oh, amazing. Wow, well, longer than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's been a while. And I love, That's I love gray these, hair to prove it. Huh? Yeah, yeah. I love these stories too about, um, you know, in reading your book, it, it's just like we have so many of these guests that have, they bring forward amazing stuff to help humanity. I mean, I mean, it even reminds me of a guy we're talking about, about a new clean energy solution that, and he's had like these sort of revelations or, or, um, almost like the word from God kind of thing, you know, and, and to have, you know, to have that happen to somebody like yourself too. And then just, I guess maybe we could start there because it's really an important part, I think of the, of what, you know, somehow you guys are able yeah. to acknowledge it and like be aware enough to, to listen to it. I mean, maybe we can start there. Yeah. Well, uh, sure. I, um, <clears throat> you know, my journey really started when I was seven years old. I had this, uh, this really pivotal event that happened. I was really sick with the measles and uh, I'd overheard my parents talking and I knew the plan was that I was going to be checked into the hospital the next day and I was going into something called an oxygen tent. And I didn't know what an oxygen tent was. The tent part sounded kind of interesting, actually, you know, as a seven-year-old boy, but I was way too sick to think about camping. But um, my parents had made a bed for me on the couch in the living room so I could be near their bedroom. And uh, on this particular night, I'm lying there on the couch, just feeling really nauseated and really sick. And um, my parents walk into the room and uh, my mother said to my father, honey, will you kneel down with me and say a prayer? Uh, so our boy here will be able to get well. So they did. They knelt down by the side of the couch. Now, my dad wasn't a preacher or anything like that. He was, he was in real estate you know, in construction and was in the army in World War II and was a sergeant and so on. And, but uh, my dad starts offering this prayer for me to get better. And in the middle of this prayer, a miraculous thing happened. 
this change began at the top of my head and it went whoosh, through my body to the soles of my feet and I was instantly healed. Now to go from being really sick one moment to being completely healed in the next instant is something that is so bizarre and so singular and so crazy that uh, I mean, you can't ever forget it. And I mean, that event, every moment of that is etched into every particle of my being. And I remember it like it happened yesterday. And I held my tongue till my dad was done praying. And I said, when he was done, I said, I'm better. And they said, okay, that's <laughs> back to sleep. You know, tomorrow you're going in the oxygen tent. Um, but the next day proved it. I, I was totally well. So that taught me a couple of really powerful things. At age seven, it taught me, hey, there's a higher power, an unseen power we can draw upon that's real. We can ask for help and get it. Um, that's available to us. And then the second thing that I learned was that, well, healing doesn't necessarily have to take a long time because it happened to me in an instant, right? So I filed those things away. And um, then about seven years later, I ended up um, developing kidney disease. There was nothing that could be done for me medically. So my folks took me to see some uh, old-time holistic doctors, and they started working on me with natural methods, and my body started responding immediately. And I mean, the pains that I would get were just so over-the-top horrific that, I mean, they would just sometimes just throw me to the ground. I mean, it was so scary. And I could tell, I mean, I knew that what these people were doing seemed to be exactly what my body needed because I was responding right away. And uh, within about a month, my folks went back to the hospital and they ran all the tests again. And they said, well, you know, that I was healed. And I knew that they hadn't done anything because there was nothing Western medicine had to offer. And uh, it was a dicey situation because uh, if my kidneys failed, they didn't do kidney transplants back then. They didn't have the technology. So that would have been the end of my life. So uh, I really felt like these people had, had saved me. So uh, then I got into computer programming and, uh, uh, and business and so on. I was going to school. And then I was brought back uh, by a question that my father asked me. Uh, I was brought back to reconsidering my choice of career. And then it was a very powerful, really literally an answer to prayer for me to go into the healing arts. And so I did. And when I went into practice as a chiropractor, uh, I felt like God had gotten me into this and maybe he would help me with my patients because I needed all the help I could get. So I developed this habit. And what I would do is before I would go to work on somebody, I would take a moment and ask for help. And it was just a totally private, totally personal habit. It was just a momentary pause, really, where I was just trying to connect to that higher power and um and ask for help and uh and i think part of it was that i was acknowledging that i needed help you know sometimes our ego gets in the way and as human beings we tend to be prideful and we think that we don't need any help from anybody else we don't need any help i mean the 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 power um that created all the universe we don't need help from that kind of power we you know we can do it on our own and we're so silly because there's so much power and intelligence available to us, really, for the asking. And it's all about asking. I mean, asking you shall receive. So that's how my whole practice went. And I practiced for roughly a couple of decades. And um, that habit was something that I never told anybody about. I mean, it was a totally private, personal habit. But I'll tell you something, Graham. There were times when uh, people would come in to see me 
and I didn't know how to help them. I didn't know how to approach their problem. And uh, there were times in those circumstances where in response to that prayer, really that short request for help, when information would just flood into me like an avalanche of understanding. It was an amazing thing. That didn't happen very often. Out of all those years, uh, you know, I can count those times on one hand. But I think that when we ask for help, we get it. And most of us don't ask for help from the higher power, you know, whatever we might believe, because we just don't think we can get it. But you know what? If you ask for help, then that help actually comes. It doesn't always come in the ways that we think. And I think usually when we do ask for help, it comes in ways that we we miss because we're so distracted all the time, right? And also because those things, those answers come to us in the in maybe the form of just an impression or an idea that we might have that we might think is our own, but it was an answer, uh, or we just might have a thought that comes to us. But rarely it'll be, you know, a flood of information. And that did happen to me on multiple occasions. And that taught me that that higher power, God, I, that I refer to as our father in heaven is real and he loves us. In fact, the love that he has for us, I believe, is incomprehensible to us. And that that's the whole reason why we're here, why the earth exists, why everything has been created for us. It's all about love. And life is really a gift for us. And uh, so anyway, it was fascinating why I was in practice uh, to, to find out what was really wrong with my patients. And I was really obsessed with that idea uh, that when people would come in to see me and they had pain or they had infertility or asthma or some other kind of problem or depression or anxiety, or they were dealing with PTSD or phobias or panic attacks, or, you know, they had some named disease process like fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue or some autoimmune disease or whatever. Uh, I was obsessed with understanding why they were sick. I wanted to know what was really going on. And that really stemmed from uh, my years as a computer programmer. Yeah. And, uh, and understanding that the brain is a computer and wanting to know how to access that internal Code. computer within each yeah. person. Right. Yeah. And that's I, what I was going to ask about, you about that really. because you kind of mentioned that a little bit in your book, but I felt like there was a, there was a reason why you all learned all those the computers and got into that as well. It seemed to fit very yeah. well with you making the emotion code book and the body code book. I mean, yeah, good I had to go through that. That was, that was, it was really part of my, uh, part of my training. I, I needed to understand how computers worked. I needed to understand logic. I needed to be able to understand um, that the subconscious mind within us is this incredibly, incredibly powerful computer um, that has an interface. Now, let me explain. Um, if you're sitting at your keyboard, right, for your laptop, what's the interface? Well, it consists of the screen, right, where you see information. And also the keyboard where you put in information, right? So you receive information through the screen and you put in information through the keyboard. Well, um, if you look at your phone, for example, um, it's the same thing, right? Except there is a keyboard sometimes, but it's also just a touch interface if you have a smartphone. And so, so that's the interface. Well, the subconscious mind also has an interface, but it's not a keyboard and it's not a touch screen. There are different ways that it can be accessed, but 
the most common way that we access that information uh, is through muscle testing because for purposes of, of the interface, the subconscious mind within us, that computer within us is binary. In other words, it's a binary interface. So you can ask any question that you want of the subconscious mind. It's kind of like chat GPT, right? You can yeah, ask yeah. any question <laughs> you want, but the, for the subconscious mind, the answers are only going to come back with either a strong muscle for yes or a weak muscle for no. So it can't really it can't really elaborate, okay? The interface is just a simple binary interface. You can either get a, a, a one or a zero, a yes or a no, a strong muscle or a weak muscle. That's how it works. And so having that understanding, gaining that understanding when I was in practice working with patients was just so incredibly valuable because suddenly, well, actually, it wasn't a sudden thing. It developed over the course of many years uh, as I was kind of led from one little understanding to another over the course of all those years. But I gradually came to understand that um, the subconscious mind within each one of us knows with a perfect understanding exactly what's wrong with us, why we're having symptoms, you know, why we might have migraine headaches or back pain or knee pain or neck pain, why we can't conceive a child, you know, why we can't breathe, why our heart's failing, you know, why we've got liver disease. It knows all of these things. It knows why we're dealing with depression or anxiety or why we can't find our soulmate or why we can't make any more money than we make or why we you know, have social anxiety or whatever it is. The subconscious mind knows the reasons for these things. Is that, is and, that specific to is that specific to to you as a person, or is that like an overall overall knowledge of the akasha, like everything? Like, it, it, is it connected to everything, and how how does it know all this stuff? It's connected into everything. So, in other words, and here's how I like to explain it: If you think about a picture, uh, imagine a picture of an iceberg. We've all seen these pictures of the iceberg, um, and you can see the the top of the iceberg that's above the waterline, right? That represents the conscious mind. The vast bulk of the iceberg is below the waterline, right? That represents the subconscious mind, uh, that part of us that is unconscious, that's creating millions of new cells every minute and digesting our food and keeping our heart beating and our and air moving in and out of our lungs and doing all these myriad chemical reactions every split second. That's the subconscious mind. But the subconscious mind, that bottom part of the iceberg, is immersed in the ocean, right? Well, what does the ocean represent? The ocean is this field of intelligence that fills the universe. And it goes by different names. Um, oh, it's called, you know, the database of all that is. It's called the Akashic Records. It's called uh, universal intelligence. It's called the light of Christ. Uh, Rupert Sheldrake calls it the morphic field. It's all the same thing. It is this intelligence that fills the universe and the subconscious mind of every single person you see is immersed in that field. And so therefore has access to that information. Oh, and that's a great one of the way to look at it. Yeah. yeah, that's how it works, I think. Because you see, um, one of the crazy things about the, uh, about the body code and the emotion code, for example, take the emotion code chart. You know, there's 60 emotions on there divided into two columns and six rows. What I found during practice was that I didn't need to show that to people before I started working on them. They somehow already knew 
even if they had never seen that chart, if they'd never even heard of the emotion code before, all of them knew, every single one of my patients already knew where the emotion was on the chart, you know, column B, row five, whatever. Uh, they already knew it. And the same thing with the body code. And so what, and what the body code is really is um, during the years that I was in practice, working on patients day in and day out, talking to their subconscious minds, getting information from their internal computer, right? Being the old computer programmer that I was uh, in my other life before I became a doctor, um, I always had a computer there with me. And I was always trying to catalog things and organize things into a knowledge base so that it was uh, something that was accessible. So when I would find a new imbalance with somebody, I would place that in this mind mapping tree that I was developing that now is what we call the body code. And so what happened was during those years, and by the way, this is what the body code book looks like. And uh, uh, in the body code, we have right in the middle, we have this map that looks like this. Mm -hmm. And uh, these icons represent the six different kinds of imbalances that people actually suffer from. And so these imbalances are things like, like energies right here. And for example, these are things like emotional baggage that's trapped in the body or physical or emotional traumas, things like that. Over here is another kind of imbalance, and that's what we call pathogens. And of course, we, know, we all know you can have a virus or a bacteria, fungal infection, viral uh, or mold, a parasite, whatever. And those can cause trouble for you. You gotta get, have to get rid of those, right? Down here, we have circuits and systems, and that has to do with the circuitry of the body, the systems that make up the body, uh, the connections between the spirit and the physical body. Uh, down here, we have toxins. If you're toxic, you're not going to be as healthy as you could be, right? Um, and that can consist of everything from you know, some kind of a bacterial venom maybe, or a, sorry, a toxin or, or maybe some kind of a venom from a bug bite or something, spider bite. Or over here, uh, we have um, nutrition and lifestyle. So if you're deficient in a certain vitamin or mineral, that'll show up here. Maybe you need a certain essential oil that'll show up here, et cetera. Here we have misalignments. Any tissue can misalign. And if you have any kind of tissue misaligned in your body, you're not going to be as healthy as you can be. And then, uh, and then that's the last one. So the way that the body code works is, um, so if you can imagine uh, here I am, I'm in practice and I've developed this database that exists only in my computer. And yet every single patient coming into my office on, on a subconscious level knows exactly what's in, in this map that I'm building. Right. It's really kind of mind blowing, but, um, but what would happen is when people would come in, uh, I would ask a, a question of their subconscious mind. I would basically ask, is there an underlying reason why you're having these symptoms, whatever those symptoms might be, right? And, uh, and then I would muscle test them or muscle test myself to get yes and no answers, uh, accessing the binary interface that's the subconscious mind. And so I might be taken here and I might find that there's uh, some, kind of a, uh, some kind of an energy. So for example, and by the way, in the book itself, Every, uh, every one of these pictures that you see here, mm -hmm. has, you can't see it um, you yeah. know, on your screen, yeah. but every one of these has a page reference, right? So what you do is, uh, what I would do is I would muscle test and I would ask, okay, um, is this imbalanced? Uh, and, and typically people will have problems because of multiple different kinds of imbalances going on. 
But I would ask, all right, is this imbalance on the left side of the chart or the, or the right? And maybe I'd get a yes on the left side. And is it in energies? Oh, maybe that's a yes. So then I would turn to that section in the body code. And you can do the same exact thing with the book, right? And then um, once I get to that section, then uh, what I can do is I can just, I'll find other imbalances. So here, here's four different kinds of imbalances in this section, for example, that have four different page references, right? And these are things like emotional energies and uh, traumatic things, post-traumatic energies and so on. So to give you an idea how this works uh, and, and how some of this came about, uh, it's really interesting. There was a guy that came to me, uh, into my office one day. He, uh, four years before, had been in a car wreck. Uh, he was rear-ended at a light at a pretty high speed and um, got a neck injury, whiplash. And he told me that his neck still hurt like the day after the accident. And it had been four years before. And he'd been seeing other doctors for it. And when he came into me that day, he told me that his neck was about a nine on a zero to 10 scale. And that's kind of how it always was. And I thought to myself, gee, that's kind of weird. This never really seems like this maybe never really healed the right way or something. It's still hurting him that much. That's unusual. So in my mind, I just had this thought, you know, father in heaven, help me to understand if there's something I need to understand here. Um, this is kind of unusual. And this answer, this is one of those rare situations where the information just flowed in. And this answer flowed into me. And the answer was that in the collision, when he was in that, in that collision was rear-ended, there was a lot of energy that was released. And it's that energy, that kinetic energy in the accident that crumpled the fenders and bent the frame of his car and so on. Well, some of that energy went through the car, went through his body and injured him. But some of that energy that was released in the moment of that accident, in the 300 milliseconds that it took for that accident to actually happen, some of that energy got stuck in his neck. That was the answer. And I thought, wow. So the energy that was released, created in the accident, actually got stuck in his body? And it's in his neck, huh? That's wild, right? And so, uh, so I took a magnet and just swiped a few times down the middle of his back, back down the governing meridian, which is kind of an access point that we use uh, uh, to the to the body itself, with an intention to release this energy that had been trapped in his neck for four years. Now, remember, he's a nine on a zero to ten level of pain. I haven't done anything else to him at all. It's his very first visit to my office, right? So I figure this out and I, well, it's shown to me and I release it. And then I said, okay, I want you to move your neck around a little bit, you know, turn your head. He turns his head like this and this. And as he's doing it, his eyes are getting bigger and bigger. He looks, you know, tilts his head back and left and right. And he said, how did you do that? And I said, well, how does it feel? I said, on a zero to 10 scale, you know, do you have any pain left? And he said, well, yeah. He said, it's, it's about a two now, I'd say, from a nine, right? And so, you know, if you think about that, um, this is energy medicine. This is how it works. It doesn't look like Western medicine at all. It's not about drugs. It's not about surgery. It's a completely different looking kind of medicine, really. But um, that's one example. And so you would find 
that kind of an imbalance in this area. In fact, we explain this kind of imbalance totally in the book. And in fact, we give you, uh, we give you in the book, uh, an outline of, uh, of how to, how to do this. It basically looks like this. It's a step-by-step process. I think that pretty much everybody has this kind of imbalance in their body. It's not a trapped emotion. It's a physical trauma. Now, there are other kinds of traumas that can be stuck in the body. There's another one that we call a physical emotional shock, which is where, oh, you know, Graham, you've probably heard people say, boy, you know, when I, when I found out about that, I felt like I'd been run over. I'd been hit by a truck, right? Well, that's not a physical blow, but it's like a physical emotional blow. Sometimes mm-hmm. we receive some kind of emotional news or something really intense happens we get really bad news about something and it can feel almost like a physical blow. Well, that kind of energy can also become trapped in the body. So that's another thing you can find with the body code. There's all kinds of things like this um, that, uh, that can make it an enormous difference for people you know, when you find and release these things. And the purpose of the body code is, is really to help everybody understand that we now have an interface or the subconscious mind. We've never really had it before. We never really have had um, a way to learn the language of the subconscious mind. We've never had an interface. We needed an interface, but it turns out it's not a keyboard. It's not a screen. Um, It's just asking questions and then having the subconscious mind respond through either muscle strength or muscle weakness. So in other words, if I were there with you, and you guys have been talking about this on your show, right? If I were there with you, Graham, if you were to hold your arm out parallel to the floor, and if you were to say, my name is Graham, you'd be yeah. able to resist my downward pressure. If you were to say something untrue, like my name is Bob, your arm would weaken, right? Mm-hmm. And um, But the beautiful thing about it is the subconscious mind I have found is just so vastly intelligent that um, it knows exactly what's going on and what people need. So uh, we have kind of been, we've been shortchanging um, the level of beauty and divinity and intelligence that uh, we all really consist of, I think, for, for pretty much all of recorded history. And now we're finally starting to wake up. It's like the scales are falling from our eyes and uh, the level of consciousness of the world is like a balloon that expand, is expanding and getting a little bigger every single day. It's, it's an amazing time to be alive, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Darren, do you got a question? Is that how you do the muscle test then? You just hold your arm out and what do you do? Like, Yeah, that's one way. Mm-hmm. Heart, yeah. Yeah, so what we do What's is uh, one of the like things. Here? Well, um, if I'm working on someone else, uh, for example, um, I, a lot of the time we'll have him hold out an arm and then I'll ask questions and the answers will come back as either strong for yes or weak for no. Um, we also teach a number of different methods of self-testing. Like this is the ring and ring test. The rings will stay together um, when the answer coming from the subconscious mind is yes. So the body's strong. The rings will tend to weaken a little bit and break apart when the answer coming from the subconscious mind is no. Um, uh, I think in the emotion code, we teach another one called the uh, the hand solo method. You can use one finger for this one and one hand, which is nice. Two fingers, one hand. Um, there's a lot of different methods. Uh, there's a method called the flick test that I think is in the emotion code book too, where uh, if, you're, if you are doing this kind of emotion, 
this ring with the thumb and the little finger will tend to stay together on yes and will tend to break open on no. So um, there are lots of different ways to do it. In fact, um, you can also use any kind of a dowsing device like a pendulum. Uh, dowsing devices like a pendulum or a bobber, things like that, what those things do is there's nothing magical about those things. All that they're doing is just kind of magnifying the change that's taking place in the body itself. Uh, dowsers believe, and I believe this too, that the most sensitive instrument, the most sensitive uh, instrument really in the, in the whole universe that we know of is the human body itself. We are capable in the same way that if you walk into a room that's pitch black, if there's somebody in that room, you know there's somebody in there. And on a less accessible level, you also are aware of what's going on in the Earth's crust around you. And you're aware that maybe there's a river underground that's 600 feet down. I mean, you can, there is a level of your awareness where you can tap into that kind of information. And, um, and that's how dowsers find water and so on. But, uh, but in our own bodies, uh, we know on a subconscious level uh, all the reasons. Uh, there's a list in the, in the subconscious mind of every single person, I believe, a list of the things that need to be done for them to be as healthy physically and mentally and emotionally as they can possibly be. So it's kind of like a honey-do list. It's like a fix-it list of things. Sorry, go ahead. Hit list. Like, like a, a what, Darren? Like a hit list of people that I got to take care of to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Depends on where so, you're at, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so the, um, what was I going to ask about? The, uh, the, is there any trends with people with chronic issues, genetic sort of issues? You know how there's, there's these genetic things that people think there is no, there's no way to heal these things. Um, they're kind of, you're kind of mm -hmm. stuck with it for life. Um, is there, is there a trend or is there some common things that they're, um, you know, that they're, they're coming up with in your book there? Well, you know, um, we talk, um, we talk about these things in the emotion code and in the body code and, and really in my experience, uh, and this is kind of a new area. So there's not a lot of information in the emotion code and body code, except there is information about things that we inherit and we inherit primarily emotional energy or emotional baggage at conception from mom or dad that they might have inherited at conception from their mom or dad. And those kinds of energies can go back for many generations. Mm. And, uh, and anecdotally, okay, we don't have hard research on this yet. It's too new. But anecdotally, I can tell you that what we're seeing, according to the, the information that's being given back by the subconscious mind of uh, the minds of our patients and clients, is that when we work with someone that has some sort of a genetic disorder, uh, there always seems to be inherited emotional energy yeah. that is affecting the DNA. And, uh, you know, we've, we've seen cases where people with some kind of genetic disorder that's not supposed to ever get well, um, we've seen those things change. And, uh, and I personally have seen that kind of situation get well. Wow. Um, we had a, uh, I remember I had a patient once that had, um, it was a genetic 
disorder having to do with the blood. And so she'd have to go in every couple of weeks and get her blood tested. And she'd been doing it all of her life and uh, worked on her and found that she had some inherited emotional baggage from like 25 generations ago and was able to release that. And then the next time she went in to have her blood tested uh, for the first time in her life, her blood results were normal. Well, if you think about DNA and what it is, ultimately it's just energy, isn't it? Um, you know, when you, when you dig down, you zoom into the level of the atom and you look at an atom, you see, there's really nothing. If you look inside the, that area, there's nothing there. It's just empty space and some little infinitesimally tiny energies that are zipping around at the speed of light. There's so much we don't know, but really our bodies are a force field more than anything else. And so we, we carry emotional baggage. We carry other kinds of energetic imbalances. Some of those we receive at conception, and then they express themselves in our lives as physical or mental or emotional difficulties. And then we, a lot of the time, most of the time, we just live our whole lives with those things. But I think that this is one of the really exciting areas about this work that there's a lot of room for further research into right. is, uh, is that things can change. And, uh, and I think that, um, uh, I think it's, I think it's very exciting really. Yeah. You mentioned like how so much of this is caused by emotions, emotional trauma. And you mentioned an example of a five-year-old boy who has some traumatic thing. And I was, I was thinking back to the ancients, like let's say the Spartans or all these ancient civilizations where I feel like they're the kids in that day when they must've gone through so much trauma, but I wonder if they had a better way to deal with it or I mean, we, I kind of feel like we're also sensitive now as well in, in Western civilization to stuff. Yeah. Well, I think that, um, I think that there's, there's some truth in that. I, I think that, um, I think that PTSD, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, that, you know, normally we think of PTSD as, uh, being the, the domain of people who have returned back from war. And, and of course that's true. But um, they don't have a monopoly on it. You know, soldiers don't. Um, There's so many people. I think most people probably walking around are having some symptoms from trauma that they've been through. And, um, and sometimes the trauma uh, that they're carrying is not even their own right. because, it, you know, it, it can be inherited. And so then that will express in their lives in different ways. For example, um, Maybe you have a really hard time finding love um, and finding your soulmate. And maybe it's because your fourth great grandmother was jilted at the altar and the grief that she felt was so powerful that it passed down the line. And, and now it's it's in you as well as everybody else. And, and it's continuing down that line of yours. And so it's expressing because when you think about having a relationship, uh, there's a part of you that just says, oh no, that's a bad idea. That was yeah, really, yeah. really painful, you know, 600 years ago. We don't want to do that again, right? That's how this works. Or maybe you're having a hard time making money because, you know, your 12th great grandfather was thrown into the poorhouse. And, uh, and then that, that guilt and sadness and everything else, um, that's been passed down and it's been going down your line like a freight train. And if you don't get so rid of it, it'll go to your kids. 
and that might not even be something that's super easy to identify, you know, manifesting in your life, right? Like you might even be able to help me just with trauma that I don't even know that I have, right? Like, I feel like I didn't really have a lot of trauma when I was young, but maybe stuff would come up, you know, that I don't even recognize now. Does that happen? Well, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, You know, uh, there have been studies and books that have been written about the uh, people who were the grandchildren of Holocaust survivors. What they, what they found is that, um, those people ha- are, are different from normal people because they, they're much more susceptible to stress and disease and, uh, there are differences in their blood chemistry and so on. And, and, uh, the only possible explanation is what their grandparents lived through, you know, the Holocaust. And so, um, scientists have found, um, in fact, the, the famous landmark study on this was done um, a few years ago where what they did is they took mice and um, they would subject these mice to an electrical shock at the same moment that they would blow in some, um, uh, what was it, um, like it was the scent of, a, of a, some kind of a tree. Um, I can't remember what exact, uh, I think it was cherry blossom scent. I think I could be wrong, but I think it was cherry blossom. Anyway, so the the mice came to associate this shock with this scent, right? And so if they would smell that smell, they'd have a reaction. They would all freeze because they they knew it was coming, right? So what they did is um, they separated those mice from their offspring and found that the offspring had this same reaction, even though these offspring had never, ever smelled cherry blossom before. But when they would smell it, they'd have the same reaction that their parents did, right? So they were trying to figure out how does this, how did, how was this communicated, right? How does one generation of mice communicate to another generation a, a scent of something? And so what they did is they then took sperm from these mice and they they uh, that had the fear reaction when they would smell cherry blossom. And they took the sperm to the other side of the university where there were female mice that had never been shocked and had never smelled cherry blossom scent and impregnated these female mice with this sperm. And then when those mice had baby mice and those mice grew up, they then put those mice through this process where they would blow a little cherry blossom scent into the cage. And those mice also would have the same fear reaction, right? How does that work? Well, scientists have no idea how it works. They're looking at some kind of a DNA mechanism, but I'm telling you right now what it is. It's emotional baggage. It's trapped emotional energy. And they're not going to find it by looking at the DNA under a microscope because it's it's energy. Right. And you can't right. really see energy with a microscope. And that, but that's what they're looking for. And so that's a study that we actually want to do here within the next year or so is uh, we want to do the part two of that study where we take those mice and then we selectively remove the emotional baggage from a group of them and then see I mean, what happens because there's trapped emotional energy from uh, their experiences. Didn't Sheldrake, so, t- didn't Sheldrake take that even a step further and, and show that it even travels without, without this physical, uh, physical yes. attunement? Like it's like, it'll happen in another part of the world without, you know, injecting semen or without it being direct lineage. Oh Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, and that, so that kind of ties energy, in there's with the, the whole... There's the energy again, right? Yeah, yeah exactly right. And so uh, that's that uh, what Rupert Sheldrake calls the morphic field. That is that field of universal data, the intelligence 
the energy that fills the universe that connects all of us uh, and uh, that is how we communicate information from one to another. The, the famous story about that is the hundredth, the hundredth monkey, right? Yeah, right. right where, um, yeah. and you've heard that story where, where uh, they're they're studying monkeys, and um, one of the monkeys just you know figures out how to wash its um, its sweet potato in the ocean, and then the other one started doing it. And when about a hundred of the monkeys start doing it, suddenly monkeys on all these unrelated islands start doing the same behavior, going down and washing stuff in the ocean because uh, because even with animals we're all on that same uh, we're all on the same grid it's like we're all tied into the same matrix and um yeah it's it's so fascinating uh rupert sheldrick wrote that book about um dogs um it was called dogs that know when their owners are coming home um and uh that that's so interesting because what they did is they they wanted to know um you know, when, when do dogs go to the door or the window um, when the owner is coming home? And some people said, well, it's because the dog can hear the car and knows the owner's car because dogs have such great hearing. And other people said, well, no, it's because the dog has an internal clock. And so it knows to go to the window at a certain time of the day. But when they actually studied it, what they found was that the moment the owner started thinking about going home, that's when the dog would go to the window. So. <laughs> You know, the dog, the, the subconscious mind or the consciousness of the dog tied in again to that morphic field, as Sheldrake would say, that uh, field of intelligence that fills the universe. And so the moment the owner started thinking about that, boom, the dog goes to the window. It's, we live in such an amazing uh, world and uh, the reality about who we are and what we're capable of is finally slowly being revealed to us. It's like we're it's like we've had these really dark glasses on and they're finally starting to be they're starting, finally starting to, to fade a little bit and so we're starting to see, oh wow, look what we're capable of. Oh my gosh. You know, we have 10,000 plus practitioners we've trained uh, in over 80 countries around the world who now work with other people in other countries all over the world. You Using that matrix of intelligence to affect changes immediately in other people, uh, many of whom they'll never actually meet, but whose lives they, in many cases, will have changed. I mean, um, you know, the consciousness incredible. level of the world is expanding. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, a, it's a tremendously so, exciting time to be alive. Does that go back from your Emotion Code book then? I mean, that was a very successful book that came out many years ago. Have you been training people since then? And and how does, I guess, that program differ now with the body code? Yeah, well, the emotion code is our, uh, it, it's not only this book, okay, but uh, it's also our first level of certification for people who want to actually really master this work or who uh, also maybe want to do it for a living. Um, the emotion code is just about one thing. It's about finding and removing the emotional energies that are trapped in a person's body. And you can do this yourself. All the information is in here, how to do it. If you want to get certified, you can. You certainly don't have to. You can work on friends and family and neighbors and so on, all you want. Uh, the body code picks up uh, where the emotion code leaves off. I'll tell you what happened. Um, about a year after the emotion code came out, so this would have been in 2008, um, I woke up one morning uh, and my mind was full of instruction. 
And the instruction was you need to take everything that you've learned about natural healing and put it into a self-study course that anyone can learn and make it available to everyone everywhere. And, uh, and I remember thinking, well, are you sure about this? It seems like it actually might take some work, you know, <laughs> and it did. I sat on that for about three months being kind of lazy, thinking about how much work it was going to be. And then I finally started the process and it took me a year to put together the first version of the body code, which consisted of a couple of different manuals and DVDs and CDs and everything. Um, and then in 2013, we came out with another version of the body code that was more advanced. And then finally, a few years ago, we came out with an online version of um, the body code, uh, which we call the body code system. And um, the body code system consists of um, over a thousand different uh, links, like these six links, but these six uh, go to other places. So for example, you might be taken to uh, pathogens. And uh, you might, from there, you might be taken to uh, maybe mold or something. And uh, you can find out what to do for that. Or you might be taken to circuits and systems. And uh, you might find that you've got a, an imbalance going on. Uh, maybe it's a disconnection between uh, some part of the spirit and the physical body. Um, or you might be taken to misalignments and you might find that you've got a bone out of alignment somewhere. Maybe it's in your skull. Maybe that's why you're having low back, back pain is interrelated. Maybe it's a toxin. Uh, maybe you have got something going on with your teeth or, you know, you had mercury fillings when you were a kid or whatever. Uh, maybe you're going to be taken to this area and uh, you might find that uh, you've got some kind of a nutritional deficiency or something. Um, let me tell you a story about that one that comes to mind. There was a woman that came in to see me one day. She was uh, in her mid-20s, um, very athletic young woman, but she was really in pain. She'd been in pain. She'd been hospitalized for five days for this pain that was in her uh, abdomen. And um, they ran every test that they had, and they finally released her. They told her that they couldn't help her. All the tests were negative. So she comes into my office, and she's about a nine on a zero to 10 scale. So she's in a lot of pain. And um, I thought, gee, that's funny. They missed whatever it might have been in the hospital. But, you know, I broke out the body code as it was back then. I started asking questions of her subconscious mind. And I cleared a couple of trapped emotions and released a couple of other things. One of the things that I found with her was that uh, I was taken into this area uh, that we call nutrition and lifestyle. And I was taken to this chart. And it's a chart of nutrients. And it's divided into two columns and, and uh, six rows, just like the emotion code chart. And I'm sure that's probably impossible to read. But anyway, uh, that's where I was taken. And so asking some more questions, I found that she had this imbalance. And uh, it, was, uh, it was chromium. So her subconscious mind was telling me she needed chromium. And I told her, I said, well, I think you need chromium. It's great for blood sugar and so on. I said, we're out of it right now. Um, I think at some point you should get some. It'd be a good idea. And she said, okay. So neither one of us thought that it was really a significant finding, but it was just her subconscious mind letting, a, letting her know, this is something that you should get. So she's still in pain. She leaves the office still in pain, still a nine. The next day she comes in, she's like a 10 and a half, right? And she's really in pain. And I remember thinking, okay, 
they must have missed it in the hospital. I don't know what this is, but um, I'm really, I'm afraid for her. I was afraid for her life. She was in so much pain. I didn't know what else to do. So I started testing her using the body code. And out of all the thousands of possibilities, guess where I was taken? I was taken to this area that we call nutrition and lifestyle. And I was taken right to this chart. Now I'm asking questions of her subconscious mind, getting answers. And I was taken right to chromium right there. <laughs> and it was only then that I remembered, oh, wait, that showed up yesterday. And I said, you know what? I don't know why, but I said, I think your body really needs chromium. I said, I want you to leave my office right now. I want you to go down the street to the health food store, buy some chromium tablets, ask them for water, and don't even wait. Just go ahead and take some right there and then come back. 20 minutes later, Graham, this very athletic young woman is literally jumping up and down in my waiting room saying, I'm fixed. I'm fixed. <laughs> she was so excited. And she, and so she asked me, she said, how, how did that work? She said that the moment that she took the chromium tablets, the pain just vanished away completely. She said, how did that work? And I said, I, I have no idea, <laughs> right? I had no idea. To this day, I still don't know why that worked. But what I said to her was, you know, the beautiful thing is your subconscious mind knew that you needed chromium and it was able to communicate that uh, to me, right? Now, and that's the beauty of the body code, see, is really in a nutshell, what we're doing is with this body code, we're giving the subconscious mind a voice for the first time really in recorded history. We're giving the subconscious mind a voice so that anybody, really anybody can use this book or the app, uh, the body code system app to find imbalances on themselves, their loved ones and correct those imbalances. This is going to change the world. It's, it has to change the world. And, you know, as I've traveled all over the world and done seminars and events all over, uh, on many, many continents, I've had people come up to me who've told me, Hey, I had a near death experience. Uh -huh. uh, I died. I saw the future. I saw this change the world or people have had near, you know, uh, other kinds of experiences, visions and dreams and things where they've seen this change the world. I mean, think about what a huge understanding this is that within each person, there's this computer and it knows exactly what's wrong with them and what they need. I mean, good grief. How can we ignore that? Yeah, we can't ignore yeah. that idea. Uh, but we've been ignoring it successfully. We've known about it, but you know, I mean, think about it. If you go to a doctor right now, a medical doctor, and you've got some kind of symptom, what are you going to get? Well, you're probably going to get some kind of a drug that's toxic to the liver and kidneys and the body. And it might suppress the symptoms for a while, like putting a piece of tape on your check engine light in your car. But you know that that's not a very good idea. You know, that's not going to work for very long. Um, you might not feel the pain for a while, but when the drug wears off, the pain's still going to be there because the drugs generally don't really fix things. They just suppress symptoms. So this is an idea that uh, it's an idea who has come and uh, it can't be, uh, it just can't, it, it's going to change the world. It has to. What sure. percentage of people that come into your office are athletic? Because I mean, there seems to be a clear, a clear line between anxiety 
and exercise. And I mean, I, Graham was talking about Spartans. I would say the main difference between a lot of these more ancient culture and their relationship with trauma was probably how their culture relate, related to death in general. And also just like they were busting their ass all day, every day. I mean, but because there's mm-hmm. any of this energy that you're, you're creating this energy all day long, if you're not using it, you're not meant to sit on your ass all day. So if you're not using it in a physical nature, the way, you know, the gods intended, then you're, it's going to come out in mental ways and get blocked up in these different areas and things like that. So how important, how many, how many of these people that are coming in are exercising? How important is exercise and what you're delivering to them? Because that's the main, main thing Western medicine is missing is it's not addressing diet and it's not addressing exercise. Right. Well, first of all, I haven't practiced for about 10 years. I just travel and teach and do shows like this. Um, but, uh, but we've trained lots of people all over the world, but I would say, um, Exercise, of course, is a really important part of it. And I think that when you go back in history to an ancient culture like that, uh, that was conditioned in a certain way and raised in a certain way, I mean, I think that they, uh, because they were doing so much, they were using their bodies so much more than we do. I think that part of the problem that we have in, in today's world is that we, we don't get enough exercise and, uh, and that we, you know, in, in some ways, we have too much time on our hands. <laughs> And that's, uh, I think that's part of the problem in today's world. I think that uh, being engaged in something that's good, that's serving mankind and that's helping people is important. I think that one of the big reasons why people uh, are so unhappy in this day and age is, is that they've disconnected themselves by and large from the source of happiness, which I believe is that higher power, um, the, uh, the power that created the universe you know, call it whatever you want, call it God or source energy or creator or whatever. Um, it's all the same, I think. And when you disconnect yourself from that, then uh, you are creating your own plan, right, uh, of happiness. But I believe there is already a plan of happiness that has been created for us. And it consists in really aligning ourselves with uh with the will of the universe or higher power God for us. And, um, and I think that the further away we get from that, the, the more unhappy we are. But I think it's all about our learning. You know, when people die and they go to the other side, they find that they're in a place where there, there is no judgment. A lot of the time people see their whole entire life and they see good things they did and the ripple effect from that. And every Every good thing they did, every every smile they gave to someone, uh, every positive thing they said to someone, they can see and comprehend the ripple effects of of a single act uh, upon that person and other people, and uh, and on and on and on. Um, and by the same token, uh, if they say something negative or they lie or cheat or steal or kill or whatever, they can also see those ripple effects that go on and on and on. And when, but there's no judgment about it, and that's a universal thing that people tell us from those near-death experiences that it's, it's not about judgment. It's, it's just about learning. And I think, you know, people talk a lot about um, becoming an ascended being and they talk about uh, 
ascension and rising in our frequency and so on. And what is that really all about? And I've thought a lot about this. And um, there was a there was a um, uh, a story that was told uh, that I I saw on YouTube. I've never been able to find it again. You know how that is when you see something great and you can never find it again. Uh, <laughs> you guys have probably had that experience. Oh, yeah. Anyway, this was a uh, yeah. It was a guy that uh, was a uh, an ER doctor, and uh, he was being interviewed, and he said that. Um, he said that unlike uh, on TV and in the movies, if somebody flatlines in the ER and their heart stops and they hit them with the paddles, you know, clear, boom, uh, only about 15% of the time are they able to bring them back. The rest of the time, they're dead and they're not coming back. And he said once in a while, they would resuscitate somebody. But he said that um, one day in the ER, there were three people that they brought back from being flatlined. And this day, he said, changed his whole life because he said that each one of these people, when they came back, essentially said in more or less the same words, why did you bring me back the first time in my whole life on the other side, I felt totally accepted. Isn't that interesting? And I've thought a lot about that, you know, and when people die and they go to the other side and I've seen so many of these uh, and read so many of these near-death experiences, people always say the same thing that when they're, when they're on the other side, first of all, none of them want to come back. I've never, ever heard one story where the person wanted to come back. And they also are in this field of unconditional love and the fruit of unconditional love is acceptance, right? And when they're asked questions, you know, if they're shown a review of their life and they're asked questions, they're never, ever asked, uh, you know, how big of a house did you live in? Or, you know, how much money did you make? Or what kind of a car did you drive? Never. They're asked instead questions like, how much knowledge were you able to gain? Or, uh, and how much love were you able to develop for your fellow beings in the world? And love, I think, is the highest frequency that we come into contact with in this world. And I think that to become an ascended being, really, that's what it's all about. You know, the apostle Paul wrote about this. He said that, he said, you know, if I, if I can speak every language and if I can do all kinds of great miracles and do all sorts of amazing things, if I do not have love, if I'm not capable of unconditional love, then it's all completely for nothing then my life is essentially wasted. And so you, you think about that, that our ability to love others unconditionally, right? That is a big reason why we're here. And the more we can do that, the better off we are when we go from this world into the next one. And eventually we all step through that door, right? But if you watch these experiences, you'll, you'll start to understand that that is a huge purpose of why we're here. And so, um, I think that's another thing that uh, it's it's another reason I think why people are are off track a lot is because they they kind of lose that idea. They instead they're just trying to get ahead. They're trying to you know it doesn't matter if you have to hurt somebody if you're going to get ahead because of it and so on. And it's like this dog eat dog kind of world, but it doesn't need to be that way. See, the world that we're moving towards is a world that's going to be dominated by unconditional love and. Uh, we're we're going to get there. It's going to be a little bit of a struggle, I think, to get there, but we are going to get there. 
And I think it's going to be a world that is going to be uh, unlike, unlike anything uh, in our experience before. I think it's going to be a, a much better place to be. How important is mindset in that situation? Because it seems like you were talking about trauma and everyone seems to have some trauma. People you know, love to talk about their trauma nowadays and how it's their excuse for everything. But, and other people don't. And, you know, some, but some people seem to have, have gone through things that maybe you would expect them to have more trauma than other people that maybe shouldn't. So is it like a, a timing thing or is it a mindset thing or how is it that these traumatic or childhood events seem to affect some people more than others and other people seem to have the ability to persevere? Well, you know, really what it's all about, I think is, is uh, it's about getting rid of this emotional baggage that we have an emotional baggage. We now know uh, is the energy of those emotional experiences that is still with us. And luckily, uh, using either the emotion code or the body code, it, we explain it in both of these books, how you can find that emotional baggage and then get rid of it. And one of the really interesting things that people say is that when they remove emotional baggage, they often say they physically feel lighter. And um, my favorite story about that is uh, a practitioner who went to work on a woman at her house, and she ended up working on this woman's son, who I think was 10 years old. And after she released a few trapped emotions from him and was done with him, he bolted out of the room and they kind of looked at each other. And a couple of minutes later, he comes back in and he has this really puzzled look on his face. And his mom says, are you okay? What's going on? And he said, well, I weighed myself this morning and I know exactly how much I weighed then. And he said, I wanted to weigh myself to see how much weight I'd lost, but I weigh exactly the same. But he said, I feel so much lighter, right? But is I'm, I can't figure out why it doesn't show it on the scale, right? Well, <laughs> you know, as we remove that emotional baggage that we have, especially that emotional baggage that ends up clustered around our hearts, that interferes with our ability to give love and receive love, then what happens is uh, we gradually start to become uh, transformed. We start to step out of this old skin that we've been wearing in a sense uh, into this new state of being that is the person that we were meant to be. And uh, as we release that baggage that we have inherited from our ancestors, we free ourselves from that. We also free them from that baggage because they're still alive, not physically, but um, spiritually, those spirits live on. And that emotional baggage is something that is held by everybody in that line, you see, um, from that person that it occurred with all the way down to you. And so when we release this emotional baggage, we are essentially healing this world. And, um, and that's the big picture. That's really what has to take place is the healing of the people in this world. There's been so much trauma um, to so many people for so many years in this world. Um, so many tears have been shed. So many wars have been fought. So much darkness and so much sadness has happened in this world. But the um, emotion code and the body coder, they're a piece of the puzzle, um, one gear in the machinery of ratcheting this world up where it is to a new level. How so, do people um, find out how to get uh, trained for that? Well, um, the people can go 
to discoverhealing.com, discoverhealing.com. That's our main website. And on that website, um, they can find information. They can find uh, practitioners. Uh, we have a map, uh, people all over the world. Uh, this work is done at a distance, of course, as well as live and in person. And so you might find that the person you want to work with is in Singapore, or maybe they're in Berlin or something. doesn't matter. Uh, or you can find somebody locally. Um, of course, the body code and the emotion code are available wherever books are sold. They're available uh, as um, Audible books on audible.com and uh, uh, Barnes & Noble, uh, your local bookstores. And um, yeah, so my advice to your, uh, to your viewers is just to open your mind. I mean, it's time for us to step into the 21st century, really. This healing work, the body code and the emotion code, uh, are they're really ahead of their time. But scientists since Albert Einstein have been saying that the future of medicine is going to consist of frequencies and, uh, and energy. And um, we're there. And this is what it looks like. It's, very, it's definitely different from what we're used to. It's not Western medicine. It's not taking a drug, not taking a pill. It's not getting a surgery. It's working on the body for what it really truly is which is a very highly complex energy field. But this work is very, very simple. Simple enough, kids can do it. You can try it yourself and you'll find that, uh, gee, this actually does work. So I appreciate your time. Thanks so much for having me oh, on. That's awesome. Thank you for all you do. This is fantastic. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, we'll Thanks, put all the links in the show notes. Have a great night. And that was a chat with Dr. Bradley Nelson, what'd you say? Yeah, that was fantastic. Yeah, I, 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 I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna get this book and have it here. And be a kinesiologist. Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm won't, I won't do the practicing, but I mean, for Maria and, and family and stuff, you know, it's uh, yeah, it's interesting. Because you, you guys were looking into kinesiology recently, right? Well, I, mean, this, I wasn't. No, Shauna was. Yeah, Shauna was. But I mean, this feels like the comprehensive manual for that. It's it's great. Come. And it was and it was reminding me of Malcolm's story, man. I mean, the, the people that are coming out to change the world with message the divine messages and downloads, like it's crazy, man. Downloads. Big thanks to Dr. Bradley for coming on the show. Big thanks to you guys for listening. Even bigger thanks. You head over to America.ca slash support today. Sign up for a monthly or make a one-time donation. Contact at thecabin.com for the trips, adultbrain.ca for the books. Other than that, we love you guys. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next week. Somehow I built a rocket ship Out of the stuff dreams are made and popsicle sticks Look at my rocket ship schematics Tell me you can fly to the moon Tell me I'm not a lunatic
Thank you.